Hello, it's Tom Murphy, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And hello, it's Davo welcoming you into another edition of Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. We get those stories you can't find anywhere else. You know, baseball reference, amazing. Baseball almanac, amazing. Wikipedia, baseball cards, media guides. You go on and on. So many places where you can go back and find information about Royals players, especially of yesteryear. But you just can't get those those stories, the, the funny dugout stories, the clubhouse stories, the being traded, the being called up, all the memories that comes along with a baseball career. We get them all here on Clubhouse Conversation. And today, looking very much forward to a conversation with Tom Murphy. A guy who had a very good Major League career. Tom Murphy pitched parts of 12 seasons at the Major League level, mainly in the 1970s. Pitched with KC in 1972. Was very good with the Royals. Had a 3.07 RA, went 3-3 three three during the 1972 season. 6-3 right-hander. Spent time with the Angels, the Royals, the Cardinals, the Brewers, where he was exceptional out of the bullpen in Milwaukee. Boston Red Sox, Toronto Blue Jays. Tom Murphy threw 1444 innings, 1,444 innings during his career, had a lifetime 378 ERA and a 68 and 101 record at the major league level. Some great stories. We're happy to talk to him out from California in the LA area. Tom Murphy joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. How's everything going, Tom? Uh, great, Dave. It's uh, been a good year. Uh, I retired in uh, January. So I've been playing a little bit more golf and uh, doing some charity work this year. Yeah, what did you do for for your career ever since baseball ended then? Well, uh, I kind of I got retired in uh, 1979, and uh, I went to work um, in commercial real estate here in Orange County. I had two um, uh, friends that were in the big leagues that were in Orange County commercial real estate, Bill Melton and Bob Spence, both with the White Sox, and they acted as mentors for me uh, in getting uh, into the real estate game, and I spent uh, nearly 30, 34 years in commercial real estate here in Orange County. Very cool, and I, I know you still follow baseball a little bit, and you were telling me the other day that you dusted off the old Royals jacket to wear during the World Series, right? Absolutely. I was pulling for the Royals. I don't, uh, I have a lot of friends uh, still in baseball. Uh, most of them are coaches or uh, in the front office, or some of them, a few of them are in um, broadcasting. Um, so I, I usually root for uh, people, not teams, but I certainly was pulling for the Royals. Uh, and uh, they fell just a little bit short, but they sure had an exciting season. Yeah, it was a great 2014 for sure. One other thing how's your twin brother doing? Oh, he's good. You know, I have a twin brother, Roger, identical twin brother, Roger, and he is, uh, he lives in Laguna Beach. He's been an attorney for many, many years. Um, and, uh, we went to different colleges. Uh, we grew up in Cleveland. He went to Northwestern and I went to Ohio University. 
Um, and we kind of had to because we were in fights nearly every day. <laughs> People couldn't tell us apart, and we had kind of an identity crisis. Um, but uh, today we're best friends and uh, talk to each other uh, quite often. Well, we'll come back to that, some funny stories about that a bit later. But well, let's go back and, and kind of start from the beginning. So you went, like you mentioned, in Ohio to Lufkin High School. Actually, that was in Texas, sorry. Lufkin High School in Lufkin, Texas, and then ended up at the University of Ohio. So before we talk about Ohio, um, who were your biggest influences and mentors with baseball as you were growing up? Well, let me, you know, let me take a step back because uh, actually I didn't grow up in Texas. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And I don't know where that uh, erroneous information came from, but I've I've seen it in some of the historical bios that I have. But uh, huh. I grew up in Cleveland, actually Euclid, Ohio, a suburb of uh, of Cleveland, and um, went uh, after high school, had a, an opportunity to sign a baseball contract, went to Ohio University, um, and played for uh, old coach Bob Wren, who was uh, uh, a great storied coach in the uh, Ohio University baseball program. Oh, very cool. That's so that you weren't from Texas then. Where did, where did that come from? That's completely bizarre. I have no idea. As I said, I've seen that. I've never corrected that, but, uh, yeah, no, um, I grew up in, uh, in Ohio. Because I've also seen uh, that you won a state high school championship in 1963. So did that happen up there, or was that also error, you know, not true? No, that's true. That was um, that was in Ohio, though. It was the uh, uh, Euclid High School won the Ohio State Championship in uh, 1963. How was that? Pretty, pretty special, I'm sure. Any, any cool memories of that? Very special. Um, well, um, you know, the, the guys on the team were great, and my roommate uh, in in college was a kid that I grew up with, and he signed a professional baseball contract. A guy by the name of Berkey Reichenbach, and he played uh, in the minor leagues with the White Sox, but uh, actually never did get to the big leagues. But it was quite a thrill um, because we were in the, you know Division One in Ohio, and uh, we um, we had a great team and went all the way and won the state. It was the first state championship that our high school had ever won. So then you get to Ohio U, and you were 16-1 and in 65-66. to 66. You were drafted a couple of times but didn't sign. Uh, in 65, the Astros took you in the 18th round. 66, the Giants took you in the fourth round. And I mean, was it an easy decision for you not to sign those times, and what made you stay in school? Well, I wanted to, I wanted to graduate, number one. Uh, I, I majored in English uh, and history, a dual major. Um, and I, I, I wanted to, um, to graduate, but the Giants actually made it a little bit easier um, in the sense that uh, uh, I had had a great summer league uh, in the Central Illinois Collegiate League um, where I played. And actually, after my sophomore year, I was 10-0 and in that league, and I was 10-1 and the following year. The Giants had drafted me, and uh, they... They uh, sent a scout out, and the scout uh, actually offered me uh, a very, very small contract, but had advice for me that I needed to change my pitching style. Uh, so when I heard that, there really wasn't much of a decision to make at that point. I went back to Ohio University, planning on um, uh, playing my senior year, but in January of my senior year, I got drafted and eventually signed with the Angels. 
Yeah, so Carl Ackerman was a scout, uh, the sixth overall pick in the first round, who kind of discovered you and signed you from the Angels. So do you remember, I mean, were were they kind of a team you were expecting to take you, and do you remember when he was scouting you or, you know, before the draft there? I remember that he was uh, scouting me, yes, but I had no idea that the Angels were going to take me. Um, And the the thing about the Angels that uh, that made it uh, easy for me to sign and, and actually I was in a position to sign at that time. Had I waited and played my senior year, I would have been in a much more vulnerable negotiating position. Uh, and so I really wanted to sign in January of um, my senior year. The Angels had a program all ready for me. They w- they flew me on weekends to their closest minor league team, which is Davenport, Iowa. And uh, uh, so they allowed me to, one, graduate from college, uh, two flew me to um, to Davenport and then uh, brought me to to spring training in that same year. So when I was done with school, I went immediately to AAA Seattle. Uh, and I actually, I had no business being there. I think I was 0-4 in Seattle uh, and was um, completely overwhelmed. Uh, they then sent me to uh, El Paso, Texas to finish up that season and... Uh, finally uh, got to the big leagues in June of the following year. Yeah. So taking a half step back, how much was your bonus for back then? And did you spend Did you have a big first gift that you bought? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, um, <laughs> my bonus was a big $25,000, <laughs> and it was paid in two uh, installments over two years. And I bought myself uh, a um, Cougar XR7 automobile. <laughs> And uh, and I was so naive. I actually had to get my second installment to pay the taxes on my first installment. So I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually invest it uh, as wisely as I could have. <laughs> That's great. So, so you mentioned it. That makes sense about your, you know, that, the minor league season that year. And I mean, I, I found it impressive. That's your only full season you spent in the minor leagues was that, you know, that 60, 67 season. Like you said, it was Davenport, El Paso, and, and Seattle. How would you like uh, pitching in Davenport there? Uh, I loved pitching in Davenport, although I wasn't there uh, often. I, I flew in usually a Friday night flight out of Columbus, and then I would pitch on Saturday or Sunday uh, and then fly directly back to college huh. uh, in Athens, Ohio. So, I didn't spend a lot of time in Davenport, but uh, it certainly was a great first experience in, in the, at the pro level. What did you do if they were on the road that weekend when you flew in there? Oh, they flew me um, to places on the road. So oh, okay, I would okay. go to uh, uh, Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin Rapids, I think, and a couple of other places, but pitched also in uh, Davenport, Quad City. So before we get to that next season, 1968, like you mentioned, it was real special because you made the big leagues. So remind our listeners uh, what pitches you threw, how fast you threw, where you topped out at and sat and all that good stuff. Well, in those days, you know, they didn't have um, a jugs gun uh, so that there was no way to really judge velocity. Um, but I, I was among the harder throwers when I first got to the big leagues, and my ball actually, I threw a three-quarter sidearm, so... My ball jumped uh, in and out, moved quite a bit. It was I threw much like um, Dean Chance, and that's one of the reasons that the Angels really liked me because Dean had such a great career with the Angels, and I threw um, threw much like Dean Chance. So uh, that was 
that was certainly a benefit when scouts and, and coaches talked about the way I threw. Well, 1968, you began that season uh, with AA El Paso and then AAA Seattle, and then the Angels called you up to the big leagues in early June of 68. So take us back to that first moment you got the call to the big leagues. Where were you at when you got the news? You know, Who told you? How did you find out, et cetera? Well, we were on the road, and uh, we were playing uh, in Texas. I think, I think we were playing in Fort Worth. Chuck Tanner was the manager, um, uh, my manager in AA, and I pitched the game. And uh, I would say that I didn't pitch as good as I, I um, could have or should have. I think we won the game 6-5. to five, But in that game, I hit two home runs and drove in four of the six runs. We won um, four of the six runs. So uh, Chuck called me in after the game and uh, told me that I was going to the big leagues, that I was going to join the Angels in Yankee Stadium in New York uh, and, and, and reminded me that I was going as a pitcher and not as a hitter. <laughs> That's great. So were you a pretty good minor league hitter then? Uh, I wasn't a very good hitter per se. Uh, I, I generally put the ball in play, but I was, um, because of my college upbringing, I, I sacrificed quite a bit. So I was useful at moving runners over and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, I had uh, no real power, though I did hit one home run in the big leagues. Uh, but uh, generally, I would put the bat on the ball and ground it out to somebody. <laughs> Who was that home run off of in the big leagues? Uh, it was off of uh, Lou Krause, and it was in Milwaukee County Stadium. I was with the Angels at the time, and Jay Johnstone, there was two outs in the inning, as I recall, and Jay Johnstone hit a fly ball down the right field line and the right fielder went over to the wall or the fence and the ball glanced off his glove and went over the fence for a home run <laughs> and I was the next batter up and I hit a line drive that kind of uh, curved around the left field foul pole and to this day I regret uh, that I went around the bases far too fast but uh, <laughs> that was uh, my one and only home run off of Luke Krause. Did you at least do a little bat flip, show the pitcher up a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> you know, in those days, you could get knocked down rather easily for doing something like that. <laughs> oh, that's great. So the first game of your big league career then. So it's game one of a doubleheader, Fenway Park in Boston. You threw six innings of two-run ball with seven strikeouts. So I'm assuming you probably remember that outing pretty well? Well, um, yeah, what happened before was uh, – uh, I had joined the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, and it was bat day, a doubleheader. Uh, that was on Sunday. I was supposed to pitch on Monday in Fenway Park. We got rained out on Monday, so they moved me to Tuesday. We got rained out on Tuesday, so they moved me to Wednesday, and we got rained out on Wednesday. <laughs> so I was the pitcher. I had to wait three days, actually, to uh, to get to the mound for my first big league start. I do remember that. Um and uh, I remember um, the, how close the wall was to me in left, in left field when I looked over my shoulder. But uh, the, the Red Sox uh, hadn't, actually, hadn't seen me before, and so I had an advantage, and I threw strikes and got through it pretty well. But I was very, very, very nervous. Yeah, I mean, does that does that left field, you know, the green monster, does that play into your mind at all when you're a young pitcher? Are you kind of like, man, I'm going to get, you know, i got to make sure I keep the ball away from these right-handed hitters. And, you know, does that factor in at all or not? Actually, no. I was just uh, trying to uh, 
trying to be as calm as I could on the mound. I think I hit the first batter, Jose Tartable. I think was the first guy I faced. <laughs> I think I hit him. And, but uh, managed to uh, get through most of the game unscathed. Bill Rigney was the manager, and uh, he took me out after seven innings. And he he, he, he didn't let young guys uh, uh, complete games very often anyway. So uh, I remember being uh, very happy with, uh, with the outcome, even though it was a no decision. So your first big league strikeout then, it came against a future Royal, the late Joe Foy. Do you still have that baseball? Oh, no. And you know what? I even forgot that that was the case. But, uh, yeah, I remember Joe Foy for sure, but uh, I didn't remember that was my first strikeout. Yeah, played for the Royals for a little bit. So you didn't didn't get to keep that ball back then? Um, I don't think I have it. I have many baseballs, but I don't think I have that one. Weird. Probably some Bat Boy has it now. So <laughs> you finished up that, or it's in an antique store or something. So you finished up uh, that season in 1968, five and seven. You had a 2.17, so very good numbers at the big league level. Then 69, you spent the entire season in the Angels rotation. You went 10 and 16 with a 4.21. So that first full season in the big leagues, what sticks out about that in 69? Um, we, uh, the Angels, always had trouble scoring runs. And uh, my roommate, Andy Messersmith, and I uh, were part of the youngest rotation in baseball. It was Messersmith and myself and Rudy May and Clyde Wright. And uh, we had uh, we had a lot of fun. Jim Fergosi was our leader, captain, and shortstop. And uh, but we had Bobby Knopp at second base and Buck Rogers behind the plate, um, some guys that I had looked up to for a long time. So we had a fun team. And... Uh, we um, we didn't we we were finished in the middle of the pack, but uh, it was a, it was a, it was a good year. That next year, 1970, I'm sure you probably at least remember a little bit. You had a couple of shutouts that year. You were 16 and 13 with a 4-2-4, a lot of innings, 227. But yeah, you shut out both Washington and Cleveland, including nine strikeouts against Washington. Do you remember those pretty well? Washington, uh, yeah, I remember both both of those. Uh, Washington had. Uh, uh, one guy that I got out regularly who was well-known and one guy not so well-known who really lit me up uh, all the time, uh, Frank Howard. Uh, I got out quite easily, actually. Um, and I remember the story. I was pretty cocky in those days. And uh, and uh, Tom Satriano was the catcher the first time I faced Washington. And Satriano, before the game, we went over the hitters. And that said to me, Murphy said, uh, you, you shouldn't have too much trouble with these guys, but Frank Howard, he says, uh, uh, if you pitch Frank, um, if you, if you pitch him low, well, he'll probably hit it out of the park. He said. <laughs> but if you pitch him inside, well, he'll probably hit that out of the park too. So pitch him high. No, he says, don't pitch him high. He'll hit that out of the park. <laughs> he said, but if you pitch him outside, he probably won't hit it out of the park. He'll hit it right back at you, and you'd rather have him hit it out of the park. <laughs> so, um, so I threw Frank Howard consistently um, balls down and in, sinkers down and in, and made sure he hit it to the third baseman. So, which he did. The other guy was um, Mike Epstein, who went to Cal and was a big first baseman, played for Oakland later on, and a couple other teams. And I think Mike Epstein hit about uh, 580 off of me with uh, a bunch of home runs and uh, a bunch of doubles. But um, I had actually fairly good success against the Senators. 
Um, uh, but uh, Mike Epstein was real trouble for me. Isn't that weird how that works out? Like some guys just own you and vice versa. Is there is there no, is there any explanation for that? Well, you know, Mike was left-handed, number one. So, and I was kind of a side-arm, side-arming right-hander. So he put, could pick up the ball a little bit quicker and a little bit easier. Left-handers generally gave me more trouble than right-handers. Uh, but there's no, you know, there's no real accounting for the fact uh, that uh, that he hit me better than other left-handers. Uh, he just did. <laughs> so. And I was too stupid not to hit him or walk him at least. <laughs> oh, that's great. So now, you know, you had big strikeouts that game against Washington. So on the subject of that, so you were never really a strikeout pitcher, but you obviously had a very long and successful major league career, which at least today, I'm assuming back then too, can be a challenge for most guys. If you're not missing a lot of bats, you know, it's a little bit difficult to get out of situations. So what enabled you to stick around so long and be so effective, even though you weren't striking out guys at a real high rate? Well, my ball moved a lot, and it sunk quite a bit. So I was throwing a lot of ground balls. Um, so while I didn't strike out guys, uh, they generally put the ball in play, but I got out of uh, a lot of uh, difficult situations with double plays. Yeah. Well, so 1971 comes around, and you had a 377 ERA. But then 6-17, and 17, a really tough year for the Angels. You mentioned earlier, you know, not scoring a lot of runs back then. So I have some stats on that. So in 71, when you were pitching, they got shut out in eight of your starts that year, and you lost 2-1 to one three times that year, and you also lost 3-2. to two. So how frustrating was that year? Well, uh, and let me add a little bit more to that. Uh, in those 17 losses, in all nine innings of all 17 losses, now – Granted, I got knocked out of some of those games early, but in all um, nine innings, the complete game in all 17 losses, the Angels scored 11 runs for me. (laughs) So I got shut out eight times, you're right. I Also, we got eight runs, uh, one run eight times as well, and then three runs once. So um, it's pretty hard to win when... uh, when in 17 games, the club scores a total of 11 runs for you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So 1972 rolls around with the Angels, and you weren't getting much work there at the start of the year. And then all of a sudden, you get traded to the Royals on May the 5th for Bob Oliver. So same question as when you got called up. So the moment you found that out, you know, how did you get that info? You were being traded. Who told you? Uh, where were you at? What were your emotions like, et cetera? Well, in in in, um, in the winter of that year, um, before the season started, the Angels traded Fregosi to the Mets, uh, and the and the Angels got this guy from the Mets, uh, Nolan, somebody I don't know, <laughs> no, uh, and uh, you know, lo and behold, he took my spot in the rotation. How they could ever make that evaluation, I have no idea. <laughs> but uh, so Nolan Ryan being uh, in the Angel rotation allowed the Angels to trade me to get what he expected and hoped would be a big bat in the lineup, uh, Bob Oliver. I don't remember actually where I was or when I, when I heard, but I was devastated because I was a kid from Ohio. I loved California. I, would, uh, I, I did a lot of body surfing. I went to the beach a lot. I was tan, and uh, I loved the California girls. <laughs> so it was uh, quite a... Quite a um, Experience uh, moving to Kansas City from uh, from California. So what, I considered myself actually a beach boy at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, what did you know about the Royals? I mean, you'd faced them a little bit. What, what were they like facing, and, and what did you kind of think of them at that time? 
Well, you know, they had a good club. Bob Lemon was the manager, and he was a pitching coach when I first got to the Angels. So uh, I, I knew Bob uh, very well, uh, and uh, I was excited about joining uh, Kansas City. I mean, Amos Otis and Freddie Patek and, uh, you know, John Mayberry, they had, uh, you know, a great, uh, great club, young club, uh, and was um, quite enthusiastic about it. The, the thing that troubled me when I got to Kansas City, they had 12 pitchers already on the roster, uh, on the 25-man roster. I was the 13th pitcher. So I went to Lem and said, Lem, this is great. It's good to be here, but, you know, what plans do you have for me? And uh, Lem's response was typical Bob Lem, and he said, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I said, well, you traded a pretty good player for me. He goes, yeah, that Oliver, man, we had to get him out. So. <laughs> Um, it wasn't exactly a, a testimonial for uh, for me being an important part of the Kansas City organization. <laughs> yeah, so talk a little bit more about Bob. I mean, I've heard just great things about him. You know, pe- people tell me all the time, if you couldn't play for Bob Lemon, you couldn't play for anybody. I mean, what was he like? Just old school baseball guy, nice guy. Is that kind of a good summary? Old school. He, you know, his attitude was, uh, you know, we have a lot of games. You know, fellas, here's the bats and balls. Go out there. Uh, play hard. That's all I ask. We got no rules. Um, uh, I just want you to play hard. And uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I was in. Uh, I pitched a game in uh, Boston for the, for Kansas City and had a eight to three lead. It was uh, late in the eighth inning, two outs in the eighth inning, and I gave up a base hit. Uh, so I only had to get one more out in that inning. And here comes Lem. And he crosses the double white lines, and uh, and he signals to the bullpen. And it's just, I was befuddled. I said, "Lamb, Lamb!" I'm yelling at him, "Lamb! You can't take me out of this game." And he gets to the mound, and he says, "Murphy says I've seen a lot of games in Fenway Park, and we're not going to let you lose this one." <laughs> so uh, he was just casual, um, and uh, but he got his point across in in a humorous uh, humorous manner. <laughs> That's great. So when you think back to first coming over to KC, like that, walking into that clubhouse and the whole atmosphere of, of the club compared to the Angels, I mean, what, what do you remember about that? Uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, I remember uh, Eddie Kirkpatrick was on that team, and he had been with the Angels, so I knew Eddie. Um, Buck Martinez was uh, a young catcher uh, with a lot of talent. Um, I remember Paul Shaw played third base, and, and uh, Paul was who came up through the Angel organization. So I knew him, and I knew a, a bunch of guys. I saw Dick Drago for the first time, and uh, and was uh, impressed with him. Of course, uh, Split was there. Um, so uh, it was a great young team. Tom Bergmeyer uh, was also with uh, Kansas City and came up through the Angel organization. So I knew a lot of guys that had come over. Uh, to the Royals and was excited to be there. Didn't you play with uh, Art Kuznier in the minor leagues once? He came over too later to the Royals. Were you? Was he with the Angels when you were? Art uh, Kushner. Art Kushner. That's how you say it. Yeah. 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 Hard Art. Yeah. Uh, who is? So I think he's still with the White Sox. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he came over from the Angels, and what a character that guy is. He was. Uh, <laughs> he was great. Hard Art. Yeah. Hard Art. That's funny. Yeah. So you started out of the uh, the Royals bullpen, 
Uh, I mean, you'd mainly been a starter to that point. I mean, you, you started two, all, obviously. But, I mean, were you okay with pitching out of the bullpen as compared to the rotation? I'm assuming you like the rotation more. Is that correct? Well, I, I thought that I was going to be an integral part of the rotation. So I was a bit surprised. I hadn't uh, had a lot of uh, work in spring training and actually no work in the early part of the season with uh, the Angels. So I was in a position where I needed to get some work to get some rhythm. Uh, and I thought uh, that I would be able to do that. Uh, as it turned out, um, you know, Lem came to me and said, hey, look, Murph, we want to get you down to the minor leagues and, and get that work uh, so that we can, uh, you know, have you throw the ball well and bring you back to the big leagues. And uh, I went down to the minor leagues to Omaha um, and um, uh, expected that we, you know, that I would get that work, which I did was throwing the ball actually pretty well, uh, but actually, but didn't get called up until the 1st of September. So that was that, that was a little depressing. <laughs> yeah, so when you first went down to Omaha, I'm assuming you weren't probably a happy camper at that point? Uh, not a very happy camper. And uh, we had Al Fitzmorris and Jim Rooker, two excellent pitchers also on that uh, team, and Steve Busby as well. Uh, so we had a really good starting staff. Uh, and uh, I thought a, a pretty good team. We had this uh, young third baseman, Georgie Brett, <laughs> and uh, wow, is he going to be a good player? And uh, yeah, so George played third base there. Could you tell at that point that he would be that good? Uh, you knew that he would be good, but it's tough to project that anybody would be that good. You know, to be a Hall of Famer, uh, he was he had skills, but he developed. Um, you know, he, he, he developed those skills over a long period of time, was quite dedicated. Uh, he had talent, but no one could predict that he would be a Hall of Famer at that point. Could you get him out in later years when you faced him? It's funny. Uh, generally, no. You know, he's a left-handed <laughs> hitter. But, um, but I had this philosophy, and I knew George well. I knew Kemmer, his brother, very well. Um uh, and uh, I had this philosophy that the harder you threw it to George, the harder it came back at you. So <laughs> I would throw him change up, change up, change up, change up, uh, and had I would I as I recall I had moderate success. Nobody had really good success against George. What was his brother like, by the way? Pretty pretty good guy. Very good guy. You know, uh, uh, they they grew up in California. Uh, and Ken was a great pitcher with the Red Sox and Dodgers and a bunch of other, bunch of other guys. But, uh, yeah, um, I used to, uh, we had mutual friends. So whenever we were traveling, we would often go out, uh, to dinner with, uh, with Ken and, uh, sometimes with George later on. Yeah. So George is in Omaha with you, Rooker and Fitzmorris and, you know, something special happened there, something you'd never done before. You threw a no-hitter there in 1972. It was August 25th. It was against Indianapolis. So, you know, take us back to that night and what you remember about it. Well, I remember starting out the game kind of shaky, um, and uh, I, I think I got behind early in the count in the first inning and uh, was uh, uh, walked a guy or two. And I came in after the first inning, and I, Rooker and Al Fitzmorris were on the bench, and we were all pretty good friends and, and supportive of each other. And they both said to me, Murph, you have great stuff tonight, 
I don't know if you know this, but um, but the Kansas City Royal uh, front office is all here. The minor league player director, the general manager. You got some great stuff tonight. Go out there and show them what you can do. And uh, actually, I kind of found a rhythm, and um, it was a rather. I, it seemed to me at the time a rather easy uh, no hitter. A lot of ground ball, a lot of outs, a lot of strikes. Uh, and uh, after the game, I was very excited. They came down to the to the to the locker room uh, and said, "Geez, Murphy, you can pitch in the big leagues." Uh, and I said, "Well, that's what I've been trying to tell you for the last couple months." As it turned out, um, they called me up in September. And uh, uh, I pitched actually pretty well, I thought, uh, in September of that year. Yeah, you did. You threw a shutout uh, one of the games against the Twins, and I think it was game one of a doubleheader on September the 8th. Does that one stick out at all? Yeah, and Steve Busby actually pitched the second game. We uh, won both games. Um, and, uh, you know, that was that was a pretty good Minnesota Twins team because they had uh, Rod Carew and Tony Oliva and uh, – uh, some really good players. Harmon Kilbro, I think, was on that club too. So um, we had uh, it was uh, it was a pretty good game and a in a shutout. I remember early in the game, uh, I had a couple men on a line drive to Paul Shaw. Uh, he caught it and um, uh, completed the double play and got me out of a jam early. And then uh, went on and uh, pitched a shutout then. Well, you also had a string of 19 consecutive uh, scoreless innings around that time, too, in 1972. And I wanted to ask you about the old municipal stadium for somebody like myself who was never there. I mean, I always hear about the surface, George Thomas surface. Talk about that ballpark, though, what you, you know, the sights and sounds and the memories of that ballpark. Well, the surface was the best in baseball by far. I mean, George Toma was, uh, was uh, immaculate. It would be, uh, you know, when you think of the best. Uh, best manicured golf courses. I mean, uh, this is the best manicured baseball diamond uh, ever. Never never seemed to be a bad hop. Uh, the stands were big. It had pillars. Uh, I remember a clock out in center field and a high wall in left and, and right uh, and some um, pretty dingy dugouts. But uh, uh, the surface itself was just a pleasure to play on. Now, what have the Royals told you following that 1972 season then? Well, Jack McKeon came in. He was the manager then uh, of the following year, 73, and he was my manager in um, in um, uh, the minor leagues uh, in Omaha. Uh, so I thought I would have a fairly good chance uh, to be back in the rotation again. Uh, but it was clear early on uh, in the lack of work that I got in spring training that uh, that wasn't going to be the case. So it was um, I, it was a very difficult time for me. I thought that uh, I was certainly a capable major league starter, um, and uh, it just didn't work out. That was also the case with Al Fitzmorris, and Al and I were buddies and uh, commiserated quite a bit during, during that time. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of that winter too, you know, what, what were you doing for winter jobs back then? Like when you were, you know, before you, I mean, did you always have off-season jobs? Actually, I didn't. Uh, I I never worked during the winter. I worked out a lot. I actually worked out with a buddy of mine, Bill Melton, who is with the White Sox. Uh, he and I used to work out in California. Uh, there were a number of ball players, but uh, 
that worked out all the time. But uh, never did have a um, uh, a winter job. Although I did go to get my um, uh, my real estate license. Uh, it was a real estate uh, a licensed real estate uh, broker in California uh, during that time. But uh, never actually did work uh, during the summer or during the winter. I played golf. Played a lot of golf. Yeah. Well, so 1973, like you mentioned, during spring training, it was becoming clear things weren't going to happen how you wanted. But talking about spring training, talk about uh, that complex in Fort Myers, and you know what was that like? It's a, uh, beautiful. I re- it was the first time that I had been to um, uh, the spring training in Florida. I'd always had it in Palm Springs, and uh, Florida was, uh, I thought, a much better place to have spring training. There was more humidity. Uh, the ball uh, actually broke better because of the humidity. There was more uh, moisture in the air. The wind would blow uh, in in uh, Arizona, in California, and uh, your arm, it always seemed to me, your arm would stiffen up a whole lot more in California. The ball was drier. Your fingers were drier. It was difficult to work on breaking balls uh, on the West Coast. Uh, I thought that was a big difference in uh, the, the, the Florida versus uh, Arizona spring training. So then you appear in three games for Omaha in 1973. The Royals trade you to St. Louis. But before we talk about that, uh, as far as Omaha goes, do you remember much about Rosenblatt Stadium and you know favorite memories of that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love playing in Rosenblatt Stadium. Uh, uh, I, I remember... And I've been back there for an alumni game um, many years past now, but uh, after my baseball career. But, uh, you know, the College World Series, so I never got to play in a College World Series there. That was always uh, always good to know uh, as I was watching a College World Series from year to year exactly what uh, those guys were going through. And I remember the wind blowing out uh, often to, uh, to left field in Rosenblatt Stadium. Uh, but it was a... It was a fine place to play. Miss that old park, man. I love that place. So you get uh, traded to St. Louis for Al Santorini, who would never appear in a game for the Royals in the Major League level. That's on May 5th, then, of 73. So, again, do you remember where you were and the emotions and all that when you got traded, how you found that out? Oh, yeah. I was uh, actually um, I was with Kansas City, and we were traveling, and uh, a um, St. Louis scout was a former coach of mine, um, uh, Fred Koenig, uh, and he was my manager in, as it turned out, in Quad Cities, um, in Davenport, Iowa. And he was then, at that time, he was a scout for the Cardinals. And he was, uh, we were playing in Little Rock, uh, which was the Cardinals AAA uh, team. And I, I was talking to Fred and I told him that I was buried deep in the Kansas City, uh, minor league organization, and um, I, I said, I just need an opportunity to pitch, and I think we had a weekend series there. Uh, lo and behold, um, they came to me, and I hadn't pitched. I, have, I think I pitched maybe three innings or four or five innings uh, all year, and uh, they came to me and said, you're starting on Sunday. So I knew something was up. Uh, I, pitched, I pitched seven innings of shutout ball against uh, the Little Rock team, and I was in St. Louis uh, the end of the next week. So uh, it was uh, a kind of a chance meeting with Fred Koenig 
and the fact that I got a start and was successful that uh, helped me get to, get to St. Louis. Well, before we talk about St. Louis, I wanted to ask you about uh, five guys you played with in Kansas City who unfortunately are no longer with us, and you may have memories of some of these guys may not have of others. But the first guy I wanted to ask you about, I know you'll remember, is uh, Ed Kirkpatrick. Yeah, Spanky. Spanky uh, lives, um, he lived in California, uh, uh, very close to where I live. Um, and he was uh, in an auto accident after his baseball career um, was done. It was actually after a golf tournament, was in an auto accident and paralyzed. Uh, and Spanky was uh, lived, uh, I think, about another 15 or maybe 20 years uh, in a wheelchair. Uh, so I spent a lot of time with him. A good friend of mine, Tommy Ferguson, who was traveling secretary with the Angels, uh, and then uh, uh, he was uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers after that. Uh, and his my son's godfather huh. was very close to Ed Kirkpatrick as well. So we used to always invite Eddie over for Christmas and Thanksgiving and visit him. Um, so yeah, we I go way back with uh, with Eddie Kirkpatrick. Just a nice guy, fun guy. Fun guy, good left-handed hitter, tough as nails, um, just a good guy. How about, uh, do you remember much about Jerry May? Uh, no, not so much about Jerry May. Um, he was the catcher, right? Right, yep. Yeah, and uh, I remember throwing to him on occasion, but and I remember him, but uh, not uh, not. Clearly. How about Split? Any favorite memories of Split? Uh, no. And uh, Bruce Del Canton? Bruce Del Canton, yeah. Uh, Bruce uh, spent many years with the Pirates, and uh, he had an arm that he could throw and throw and throw and throw. I remember Bruce Del Canton very well. Yeah, he had good stuff, and uh, he had kind of a rubber arm. He was a great competitor. And last guy is Ted Abernathy. <laughs> yeah, Ted. Uh, he, he was. I was a kid growing up when Ted Abernathy was with Cleveland, with the Cleveland Indians, and he was uh, one of the first submarine pitchers. Uh, and I remember how tough hitters found uh, it was to face Ted Abernathy because he came from down under. Uh, and uh, his ball would uh, would sink below the strike zone at the knees and rise above the strike zone at the letters. So, yeah, he had huh. a great uh, career as a relief pitcher. So 1973, you finish up in St. Louis. You have a 3.76. Uh, you know, how would you like St. Louis, and do you have any favorite memories wearing a Cardinals uniform? Well, we when I joined the Cardinals, it was in May, and we were 4-20. and 20. I joined them in uh, San Francisco. And uh, by the by, the middle of September, we had a three-game lead uh, on the National League. Um, so we had a great winning percentage at the, uh, for the time that I was there. Uh, we had great players. We had, of course, Bob Gibson. We had Lou Brock, uh, Joe Torrey, Tim McCarver, Teddy Simmons. We had a budding relief pitcher. Uh, who not uh, who I spent a lot of time with. We didn't get to pitch too much uh, in St. Louis, but 
the next year, I led the uh, American League in saves for much of the year, and he has led the National League in saves. He was from California, a California kid that actually threw batting practice with the Angels when I was uh, in the uh, starting rotation. And his name was Al, the man Hungarian <laughs> Robowski. Yeah, pitched for the Royals, too, later on. Yes, indeed. What a great pitcher he is. He is was. <laughs> Did he always do the, you know, the little display in the back of the mound? Was that even back then? Would he do that? No. <laughs> no, that was later. No, but we often talked about, you know, what we needed to do to make a, you know, a uh, a niche, and uh, he he pulled that off to perfection. <laughs> well, you played for a famous cardinal and Red Shandies, obviously. What 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 was he like? Red was much like uh, Bob Lemon in the sense that he just let guys go play. It was a little bit easier for Red because he had guys in the clubhouse that were, uh, you know, that were very well respected. Gibson with regard to the pitchers and then Joe Torrey and Tim McCarver with regard to the everyday players. But he was like a little kid. Uh, I remember before all the, all the games, home games, he um, he would sit in his, he had an office and uh, the door was always closed and just before game time he would uh, he would sprint out of the office uh, down the down the steps and out onto the field uh, to meet the umpires at home plate but before that you could hear this laughing and raucous behavior in his office and I always wondered what was going on so one day as I was going by. The door opened, all the coaches were in there, and on either side of the desk was Red Shandienst and Stan Musial, and they were playing this little football game with the folded-up pieces of paper, <laughs> making field goals and kicking extra points and flipping it so that it landed on the edge of his desk. So Red was like that. He was like a little kid. Uh, we had Bernie Carbo on that team, and... Uh, Bernie would often say, late in the games, he would turn to Red on the on the on the bench, and Bernie would say, "Red, damn it, Red, you haven't managed at all tonight. We need you to do something in this game." <laughs> and the Red would say, "Bernie, do you think I should do it now?" Yeah, yeah, he would say, "Red, go do it now." And Red would get up under the first step of the dugout and put his hands out and and put a hex on the pitcher and go woo. <laughs> put a hex on the pitcher, and then he would step back in the dugout, and Bernie would say, nice going, Red, way to manage. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So it was a very loose team, and it was a team, we would go out after the games, and there would be, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 players all go to the same bar, restaurant, and we would sit around and drink and talk baseball, and... Uh, Tim McCarver and Lou Brock and Joe Torre were the were the centerpieces of that group, and they were spectacular. What was Joe like back then? Very uh, cerebral, uh, very calm, very calming guy. Uh, could play, hit the ball, uh, understood the game, uh, sprayed the ball around, and uh, he was uh, just a solid, just like he was as a manager, very, very solid individual and great teammate supportive and it didn't matter with these guys if you were the 25th guy in the team or the you know the top guy they treated everybody the same it was really a good team 
So following 1973, then the Cardinals made the mistake of trading you to the Brewers for Bob Heisey. So you'd end up being fantastic for Milwaukee. But same question I like to ask, you know, emotions, where were you at? How'd you get the news of going up to uh, Milwaukee? Well, I referenced Tommy Ferguson before. Um, Fergie was the um, uh, traveling secretary and vice president of the Milwaukee Brewers. And Frank Lane was the general manager. Uh, and uh, so Fergie put the word out to Frank Lane, who was going to the winter meetings. You know, they got Murphy in, uh, in um, St. Louis. You could probably get him pretty easy. And he's had some success in the big leagues. Um, so, you know, you should try to, uh, try to get him. And Frank Lane on a flight, I guess, as I later found out, um, with, uh, with the, um, uh, you know, I can't even remember now, the St. Louis Cardinals uh, general manager made the, made the, um, uh, made the trade on a flight uh, back from the winter meeting. So huh. I went to and joined up with, uh, Tommy Ferguson in, uh, in Milwaukee. Well, you had probably the best uh, season of your career at the major league level that year. 70 games you got in. You had a 1-9-0. But I find this extremely ridiculous. You finished 66 out of 70 games, and you had 20 saves. You got MVP votes that year as well. So 1974, how special was that year? That was a great year. Um, and uh, we had a pitching coach, Al Widmar, that uh, changed my pitching style a little bit uh, and helped quite a bit. Um, there was also, um, a guy that we used in Kansas city, uh, who was a vision, uh, he was an optometrist. Bill Harrison was his name. And he had this theory that helped you focus, uh, your eyes. And we used to, we used to get on, um, trampolines and, uh, look at the wall and stare at objects to help focus our vision. I think both of those both of those things really helped, um, and because I had really outstanding control, and uh, I was up and in, in many many games. So um, I would say the that, uh, the control that I had that year was probably the the best of my career. Well, besides the great pitching that year, we got to get back to your hitting. So nineteen seventy four, you were one of only two American League pitchers that got a hit during the 74 season because of the, uh, the DH, obviously. Fergie Jenkins was the other. So do you remember how you got that at bat in the first place or anything about that or how it happened? Uh, I actually have no idea. I don't know who I even got the hit off of. <laughs> uh, it was probably in a game because I was in the game oftentimes in the sixth or seventh inning, even though I was, quote, unquote, the closer. Um, and, uh, you know, my turn probably came around and, uh, they wanted to keep me in the game, but, but I actually have no idea who I even got the hit off of. But I will say this, between Fergie Jenkins and me, you'd rather have Fergie Jenkins with a bat in his hand. <laughs> Did, were you aware of that stat, by the way, that you were one of only two that year? No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I'm, who knows? I'm digging up all this stuff here. Uh, <laughs> so 1975 then, again, you finished 43 games that next year. You had 20 saves um, as well. And then, so I understand that, tell a couple stories here. I know there's more than just the Brewers. So you and your twin brother around this time pulled the ultimate prank on uh, Bud Selig back then. So tell us that story and a couple other, you know, twin pranks that you guys pit, you know, pulled off during your career. Okay. I, I'll, I'll tell you two stories. Um, at first, uh, it, it started when we were in college and actually I, I pulled a stunt where I put on my brother's 
a football uniform uh, and w- went into a practice at Northwestern. Um, but um, I was with the Angels, and uh, Roger was in Southern California, uh, and I was to pitch the first game of the spring training uh, set in Palm Springs, uh, and that was going to be against the Chicago Cubs. Uh, and so I called my brother up and said, how'd you like to pitch against the Chicago Cubs? And he goes, oh, that'd be great, that'd be great, because he went to Northwestern and followed many of the clubs, uh, many of the Chicago Cubs. So um, before the spring training game, we had practice, and I came in, uh, I had told two people. I had told uh, Andy Messersmith, who was my roommate, and I told this young um, broadcaster that we had who was going to do the game locally on Channel 5, uh, KMPC, here in Southern California. And he was our first year. It was the first year that he was going to be doing games for the Angels, and his name was Dick Enberg. <laughs> So Enberg and Andy Messersmith were the only two that knew of that this stunt was going to be pulled. Um, before the game, I warmed up and went in the locker room, toweled off. Roger had snuck into the locker room, put on my other uniform, and uh, proceeded, uh, as the team was introduced, to go out onto the field and the pitching mound uh, and uh, take his warm-up throws. They then proceeded to play the national anthem, and I snuck on to the bench. The the coaches, uh, Lefty Phillips was the manager, and the coaches all sat outside of the bench uh, on folding chairs. So they didn't see me sneak onto the bench, and I sat next to the owner, Gene Autry. And I said, Gene, take a look at this guy out here. We have a new young uh, 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 potential star and he, of course, Gene knew all the players, and he was he used to come to the clubhouse all the time. And he said, Mark, what is this? And I said, well, it's my twin brother. Oh, he thought that was the greatest. And he started laughing. And uh, before the game, I had gone to Don Kessinger because I knew Kess was going to lead off the game, and I didn't want him to get hurt. So uh, during batting practice, I said, Kess, just hang loose not going to be me my brother my twin brother is going to be out there i just don't want you to get hurt (laughs) and that would have been fine except here comes the leadoff batter billy north (laughs) and billy north had no idea what was going on uh my brother threw the first pitch and it went about 50 feet into the ground ricocheted past the catcher (laughs) to the screen and uh the second pitch sailed wide and uh, outside and went past the catcher again. And at that point, seeing what was happening, I ran to the mound. And so my brother and I, looking exactly alike, are on the mound with the same uniform on. And here comes Lefty Phillips, the manager. Lefty, uh, you probably didn't know Lefty. He was very difficult to understand. He had a big chew in his mouth. And <laughs> he said, who is this guy? What's he doing? How did he get out? What's going on? And my brother turned to Lefty in all seriousness and said, Lefty, get this imposter off the mound. <laughs> Wherein I grabbed the ball, uh, and, uh, and he arrived said, you said I'd pitch against these guys. I've only thrown two pitches. I said, yeah, but you're going to kill somebody. <laughs> and uh, he left. And there was just Lefty and I on the mound. Um, Lefty didn't think it was a very 
humorous situation, certainly not as humorous as I thought it was. Uh, and after the game, I got quite a lecture, but uh, no fine. And um, that was, that story has been told and retold often, uh, especially here in Southern California. Um, the next story I will tell you, uh, I was having a great year, as you pointed out, in Milwaukee. And uh, I had been pitching in quite a number of games. It was late in the season. And my brother flew into Milwaukee. Uh, and so only uh, Tommy Ferguson and um, Bob Sullivan, who was the equipment man, uh, we both had uh, grown up together with the Angels. So he knew Raj and put, his, put a uniform on and uh, took part in batting practice. Uh, during batting practice, he got Charlie Moore, one of our catchers, and he was throwing to him outside of the dugout. And we had uh, Hank Aaron on the on the club, Hammer. And I was in center field uh, in my uniform, shagging balls, and Rod was pitching to <laughs> Charlie Moore. And he and Hammer was on the bench waiting for uh, his batting practice, the starters to to start batting practice. And Rod turns to Hammer and he says, "Hank, he says I'm having trouble with my breaking ball." Can you come and help me? And uh, after some coaxing, Hammer uh, is standing next to my brother trying to teach him to get on top of the breaking ball as he's trying to throw this <laughs> curveball to Charlie Moore. And uh, we had uh, we had George Scott on the team. Boomer comes up to Aaron. He knew that he saw he'd seen me in center field, and he came up to Hammer and he said, what do you know about pitching and what are you doing? And Murph needs some help here with his uh, breaking ball, uh, so I'm just helping him. And Boomer says, that's not Murph. <laughs> he turned him to center field and said, that's Murph. So Hammer was a little embarrassed. <laughs> uh, the, the next day, they got my brother to put, you know, it's easy to do something when you're someone else. You know, you, you can have a whole lot of uh, chutzpah if uh, nobody knows who you are yeah. you're, you're 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 faking that you're somebody else so my brother the next day went uh, uh, tommy ferguson pulled this and he said why don't you go up to the uh, general manager's office he's up there now and uh and tell him you want to renegotiate your contract so in uniform about 15 minutes before game time my brother goes into the into the owner's uh office uh with the with a beer in his hand, uh, <laughs> and and says, I, I, I need to I need to make more money because I'm pitching every day and you're not paying me enough to play every day. Well, that didn't go over very well. But the owner at the time, who who smoked Tipperillos in those days, uh, was very um, uh, really had a, a good use of the English language and, and was uh, very cultured. He tried to talk my brother out of it, and my brother just stomped out of his, uh, out of his office. <laughs> but our general, our, our owner was none other than Bud Selig. <laughs> so um, everybody got a big laugh out of that, but uh, uh, I'm not sure that it helped my, uh, my long-term career in Milwaukee. <laughs> so Bud didn't find it very funny? What's that? Bud didn't find it very funny then? Uh, well, let's just say that uh, he, he didn't let on that he was irritated, but he didn't <laughs> he didn't <laughs> seem to enjoy the laugh as uh, as much as some others did. 
Did you have fun in Milwaukee overall? Oh yeah, yeah. We had uh, we had a fun team. We had you know we had Daryl Porter. I loved throwing. Yeah, I was going to ask you he about was, him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, Daryl was coming up with um, with the Royals when I was with the Angels. I really enjoyed pitching to him. I thought he was a, just a great uh, catcher. Obviously, a good hitter too, but uh, great to throw to. Uh, we had a. We had a lot of uh, has-beens or never was when I was with Milwaukee. I was included in that group. We had uh, Billy Champion, Ed Sprague, uh, Johnny Vukovic, who's a long-term coach with the Phillies. Uh, we had a bunch of really good guys that were very supportive, and uh, we had a, a great club, although we, uh, again, finished uh, to the middle or lower end of the pack. But we had this young kid who was uh, on Woodland Hills High School, play shortstop, starting shortstop in 1974, and uh, he turned out to be another Hall of Famer, Robin Young. Yeah, you had gosh, you had Young and Hank Aaron, and well, you had a lot of people in those days. Yeah, yeah, Gorman Thomas later on, Don Money, and uh, 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 Boomer Scott. So yeah, uh, so you got traded in the middle of '76 to Boston. Uh, with Bar- uh, Bobby Darwin for Bernie Carbo. So same as question as always, memories of that trade and thoughts on that. Well, it was kind of a, it was a, it was, I always thought it was a total deal. They broke it down that way, but it really was uh, George Scott for Cecil Cooper and then uh, Bernie Carbo um, and then uh, Bobby Darwin and I were thrown in. I was delighted to go from uh, a uh, losing club uh, to uh, the Boston Red Sox, and uh, that was in '76. They had been in the World Series in '75, so all the guys were there. I mean, Fisk and Rice and Lynn, uh, Yaz, of course, uh, Tion. So it was a uh, it was a great club, a great uh, situation to be in. I had uh, hurt my arm though, and uh, was not throwing anywhere close to uh, my capabilities. Uh, I kind of faked it through um, 76, uh, and then in 77 we got uh, Billy Campbell, uh, Sue Campbell, uh, who really took on and was a great uh, closer for the Red Sox. So I never did actually get an opportunity, uh, or if I did get an opportunity, I didn't really come through. Uh, and uh, so my time in Boston was um, was fun. Fun being around the guys, fun being with that club, uh, but personally for me it was uh, kind of depressing because I wasn't, I wasn't getting people out, and it was a difficult time. Well, you were pretty good the first year. You had a three-four-four with uh, twenty games finished and eight saves and thirty-seven games that first year, and then so uh, what was it like um, playing for Don Zimmer there? By the way, Jim was <laughs> he was great. Jim was. Uh, Jim was a, an excellent manager, uh, and he, uh, the one thing about, well, many things about Sim, he, he was easy to play for, he was a good guy, uh, but he loved everyday players, uh, and uh, his pitching, uh, uh, well, he kind of led it up to the, uh, uh, the pitching coach, Al Jackson. Uh, but Jim's uh, idea of pitching <laughs> wasn't quite the same as Bob Lemon's, uh, I will say. So he had a different take on it. The game to Zim was a hitter's game, 
the game to Lem was uh, was a pitcher's game. But uh, I will say that uh, that Jim, for all his great attributes, did uh, he, he he didn't see eye to eye with a lot of pitchers. Uh, and I'll give you a great story. We had on that team. We also had the the greatest character that I had ever been around, Bill Spaceman Lee. And Spaceman was, of course, he was just goofy. He was crazy. <laughs> and Zim went out to take space out of a game uh, one time, and they got into it on the mound. Uh, Spaceman didn't think he should be taken out, and Zim called for uh, for a relief pitcher. Spaceman threw the ball at his feet and stomped off the mound <laughs> and caused a big scene. And uh, afterwards, he and Zim got into it, and... Um, in the clubhouse after the game, the writers were there, and Bill Lee called Don Zimmer a gerbil. <laughs> that Don Zimmer, look at his head. He's got a melon head. He just looks like a gerbil, he said. <laughs> and so, of course, all the in, in Boston, everything is blown out of proportion. So all the radio shows, the writers are all writing about Don Zimmer the gerbil. And uh, so the next day, uh, Spaceman comes in, to the clubhouse and has a meeting with Zimmer and the general manager and they tell Bill, they tell Spaceman, you have to apologize. You have to apologize to Zimmer for, you know, for causing this uproar. And Bill Lee says, I'm not going to do it. And he said, no, no, you have to do it. You have to do it. <laughs> so Spaceman says, okay, I'll do it. So after the game, Bill, <laughs> Spaceman calls a, 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 conference, a news conference and now all the you know the TV guys are there and the writers are there and Spaceman says last night Zimmer and I got into it nothing personal it's just the heat of the moment and I called Don Zimmer a gerbil he says <laughs> and I want to apologize I want to apologize to all the gerbils in the United States he said. <laughs> that's what he said. That's what he said. So, and of course, you know, the ruckus starts all over again. And <laughs> it was just typical of of that club and those uh, those characters and So wait, what happened? To him? What happened after that? Was there, did they just hate each other? Yeah, they... fine. Oh, really? And they kind of, you know, after you know, after some time, it died down. But uh, it was just at at the time, it was just funny. We all laughed and laughed about it. So the clubhouse thought it was pretty funny behind closed doors. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, you begin 77 with Boston, then they let you go, and you get purchased by the Blue Jays. So you finished up your MLB career in Toronto from 77 until 79. Well, you know, what was it like and your favorite memories of pitching for the Blue Jays? Well, that was the first year of the Blue Jays, and I, I joined them late uh, in years. It was, uh, it was uh, an iconic year for the Blue Jays. Um, it was... Um, it was difficult in the sense that we didn't win very many games. It was difficult. There was some fan support, but most of the uh, uh, people in Toronto didn't really know much about baseball. So there was a lot of uh, uh, applause at strange moments uh, <laughs> or booing at strange moments, as the case would be. Um, I did play with another great character on that team, Doug Rader. Uh, who played third base on the club and was a uh, manager for many years, the Red Rooster. And uh, he was another uh, great buddy and great friend and, and uh, great teammate. Um, 
but it was, you know, it was a bunch of guys that were trying to make their way or stay in the big leagues or, or, or uh, begin a career in the big leagues. And um, I was there for a couple of years and actually had some, uh, some good moments. Um, I, it was funny, at the end of my career, though, they called me in. I remember it was uh, midsummer, and uh, uh, the manager, Roy Hartsfield, the general manager, Billy Bavese, the minor player director, uh, they were all in the room, and they, they called me in, and they said, Murph, they said, uh, you know, we're going to release you. Um, you know, thanks for uh, your contributions here, but the way we figure it, we're going to finish 35 games out of first base or out of first place with or without you. So, you know, we want to bring up some young guys and, and see what they can do. Da, 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 da. And a writer afterwards said, uh, well, you know, was this a surprise to you? And, um, my comment was, well, I walked into the room and there's the manager, general manager, minor league player director. They're all there. <laughs> and my first thought was they were going to ask me to manage this club. But, uh, <laughs> And the reason that I said that is, I think almost all ball players figure they have at least another two years to go before uh, their career ends. Uh, but mine ended uh, much more abruptly than I thought it was going to. So uh, that's uh, that's the way it was. Well, your your arm was pretty beat up by then too, wasn't it? By May of '79, it was pretty beat up. I had uh, lots of pain. Uh, uh, lots of, uh, lots of trouble lifting it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And so it was, uh, it was tough getting out there, but, uh, not that I didn't want to compete, but, uh, I wasn't getting, uh, I wasn't having much success. So uh, it, do you still have pain? Even they today? made the right decision. Yeah. What's that? Do you still have pain even today? Oh no, actually, um, uh, I, I didn't pick up a ball, um, for about 10 years and uh and then you came I back right <laughs> yeah it came back my arm came back and uh i went and played in the senior league uh in uh, florida uh <laughs> the first year of the, the senior league and uh it was a reprise of uh all the times we had in baseball with all the guys i played with and against so it was a wonderful time uh that three months uh in uh i think it was uh, what 1989 maybe 90 this is 89, but who knows? <laughs> 89, okay. For the St. Yeah. Lucie Legends, right? St. Lucie Legends, right. Yeah, so. Yeah, my good buddy Dave LaRoach called me up and said, Murph, I understand that they're going to have a senior league. Uh, you know, let's go and uh, see if we can't play in this league. So uh, we drove. He, he was in Fort Scott, Kansas, and uh, I joined up with them. We met up in uh, Fort St. Lucie and. Uh, Craig Nettles was on that club, and Bobby Bonds, and uh, uh, later on we made a couple of trades. Vita Blue played on that uh, <laughs> on the team, so it was uh, it was a lot of fun. So you were 43 years old, yeah. So it was like a two-year league, and it kind of folded. Kind of explain the Senior Professional Baseball Association. Explain to people listening who don't know what it was exactly what the concept was and what the you know what it was like, fan attendance, and all that good stuff. It was um, it was uh, formed, I guess. Uh, from the idea of the senior golf tour, uh, where uh, it would allow players, uh, particularly well-known players, to be followed again and uh, and be able to 
to reprise their career uh, for for some time. So they thought it was going to be uh, a great success. As it turned out, um, there wasn't the population in Florida that could support the, I think there were eight teams, I'm not quite sure now, but in uh, the players. So we made, I think, uh, I, think I made $3,000 a month for three months. Um, and I was probably about average. Um, some guys, white and blue, probably made more, and uh, some of the bigger names made more. But um, uh, it was uh, it was fun for the players. Attendance wasn't anywhere close to um, what the uh, owners of the league thought, uh, and uh, the games were competitive. I, as I recall, um, there were. <laughs> Uh, you could, hitters could still hit the fastball. We had George Foster on our team, and he could hit the fastball, it seems to me, as good as he ever could in the big leagues. The trouble that uh, many of the players had was uh, injuries um, because they would try to beat out a hit the first base and pull a hammy. Um, and the other problem was pop-ups, oddly enough. Balls would go up in the infield, especially night games, and the depth perception of a 40-year-old or 42-year-old that hadn't played in a while was awful. You would see some infielders that would be running out of the way, waiting for, waiting for anybody to call it off. So um, I remember a lot of pop-ups falling. But uh, for the players themselves, it was uh, just a way to be a kid again, and it was uh, great fun. <laughs> That's great. Well, last four questions for you. The first one, as far as we talked a little bit about you know facing George Brett, but playing against the Royals because you spent a lot of years in the American League, obviously. What uh, you know, what sticks out about pitching against the Royals? Were there ever any games or moments or any other hitters that you you know that gave you trouble or anything when you think back to facing the Royals? I remember one game uh, distinctly um, that I pitched. I came in Milwaukee, and I was, uh, again, I was having a great year, and I came in uh, in the eighth inning, and uh, uh, there were uh, runners at first and second, uh, nobody out. A game that was tied, and uh, I got out of it. Uh, in the ninth inning, I gave up a couple of hits. I had the bases loaded and nobody out and got out of it. <laughs> In the 10th inning, uh, I had second and third and one out and got out of it. In the 11th inning, I had a couple guys on with two outs and got out of it. In the 12th inning, I was still in there. Uh, I had, and the score was tied. We hadn't scored. They hadn't scored. And uh, the, I remember I got the first two guys out and then gave up single, single, single and lost the game. Uh, I remember Doug Bird. Quoting in the paper the next day, it was the greatest gutsy performance he had ever seen, and he was on the Royals. So uh, I remember that game distinctly. That was uh, uh, I actually um, I had a great game, but ended up losing the game. But uh, <laughs> and I remember all the guys. You know, it was fun just competing with them and playing against them. Uh, guys that I knew, guys in the in the minor leagues, uh, and so you always had that. Uh, going for you. I, I played with a lot of clubs and knew a lot of guys in baseball, uh, both as teammates uh, and friends. And uh, that was, I think, one of the things I took away from baseball the most is that uh, I got to play with some of the greats uh, of, of my day. So. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, next question is, so when you think back to your times with the Royals, I know you weren't here a real long time, but, you know, what memories and emotions, uh, you know, kind of stick out about your times in KC? What do you think of now when you think of living in Kansas City and playing in Kansas City? Um, well, the fans were always great in Kansas City. So I remember that. Um, uh, the old ballpark, the surface of the old ballpark, I remember that. I remember Jack McKeon. You know, Jack... Uh, Evaluated me as a player, and, uh, and, and and you know didn't evaluate me very high. Uh, on the other hand, and so you know, for many years, I I was uh, you know I, I I was angry about that. But on the other hand, you know, as as time goes by and maturity and wisdom come into fruition, uh, you know, I, I have to say that Jack McKeon has been a great asset for Kansas City. Uh, we're first, uh, you know, World Series, uh, in quite some time. Uh, great manager, uh, you know, certainly personable and great with the press. So he was, uh, uh, somebody that I ran across that uh, didn't have a very good relationship with, but, uh, got to give him a lot of credit. So I remember Jack McKeon and I remember the old wool uniforms <laughs> with the Kansas City, uh, written across in script. On the front, I have a couple of them tucked away someplace. But uh, I remember those uh, uniforms, and I remember how hot and humid it would get in Kansas City, especially on the turf. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so, when's the last time you were back then? When you pitched with Toronto, is this the last time you've been here? Uh, I think that's true. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's been a long time. I haven't been to Kansas City. Uh, in quite some time, yeah. Man, we got you. Got to come back for a game sometime out here. Check it out. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Well, I will put that on my bucket list <laughs> uh, I, because I would actually I would like to do that. I would like to get back to Kansas City. It was uh, it was a great time in my life, and I enjoyed it immensely. Good, good. Well, I guess last thing then, in summary, you know, what would you like to say uh, to Royals fans listening right now? Well, uh, I think they have a great organization, and I think that they have a great team. You know, the way those young guys played last year, I, I would I would think that everything's on the rise in Kansas City, and, uh, you know, I sur- hope, certainly hope that's the case. Um, the uh, <laughs> the relief, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning was, uh, you know, brought a new perspective to, uh, to baseball, and uh, the speed, and uh, uh, and fun with uh, and fun that those guys played with was uh, uh, was great for America. I think to watch, and I think that there were a lot of people around America that uh, that really really were pulling for the uh, for the Royals. That's tough to say because here I'm living in the backyard of the uh, Cal- or the Los Angeles <laughs> Angels, and uh, you know Kansas City just uh, took them down in no time at all. So. Um, but uh, it, it was a great uh, it was a great year for the Royals, and I would expect that it's going to be and hope that it's going to be equally as good and exciting this coming year. We also picked up a guy uh, today, Kendrys Morales, that you probably know out there from the from the Angels, right? Yeah, he was out here. You know, he was uh, the guy that uh, unfortunately broke his <laughs> uh, leg landing on home plate, uh, hitting a game winning <laughs> home run. Yeah. Uh, and then was on the DL for all of one year. Went to Seattle, switched a line drive gap uh, type hitter, 
particularly effective against uh, right-handed pitching. Um, so, uh, you know, good luck to Kendrick Morales. Yeah, let's hope he does good here. Well, thanks again so much for your time and, and for all that you gave uh, you know, to the Royals organization. And it was, it was a pleasure catching up with you. And hopefully we'll see you out here in KC and catch up again one of these days. That'd be great. Thanks, Dave. All right, take care. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye.